putting the scat in eschatology. It's the Drew Marshall Show. Folks, it's time to move on. You're listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca, and we're on Real Radio here in the Tirana area, covering 6 million. And uh, each and every person of the uh, Toronto area, the GTA, is listening right now. I say good, good day to all of you. Frank Viola. Is it viola? No, it's viola. One's an instrument, and one's an instrument of God. Okay, you like how Nicely I Nicely done. Thank you. Uh, this is the 12th book from uh, best-selling author Frank Viola. Uh, God's Favorite Place on Earth is a unique biblical narrative written to help Christians face the struggles of every generation, namely doubt, discouragement, fear, division, rejection, consumerism, and complacency. Oh, my. It does so by bringing a rarely taught story in the Gospels to light. Frank has written God's Favorite Place on Earth as a hybrid between devotional prose, historical fiction, and biblical scholarship. His blog, Beyond Evangelical, frankviola.org, is rated as one of the most popular in Christian circles today by atheistswholovejesus.com. Frankviola.org. I'd like to start that website, atheistswholovejesus.com see if we can find some people that would like us. Maybe two or three. Frank uh, is a very handsome man. Very handsome man. He is bald with a goatee. Nice. And that is the hottest look in the world today. Isn't that right, Frank? Absolutely. uh, Without dispute, sir. And uh, you, my friend, are rakishly handsome as well. (laughs) Did you say freakishly? Well, you're freakishly handsome, too, but I said rakishly. (laughs) I don't even know that word. Rakishly. Rakishly. What does that mean? It means that you can look at your image in a spoon and realize that you are really, really, really good-looking. That's because the spoon shapes my face back to what it normally should be. Uh, it's that like was a, a quote it, out of Zoolander. That's a, Having or displaying that's right, that's a dashing, right. jaunty, or slightly disrespectful. Ridiculously good-looking. You got it. Zoolander. <laughs> Zoolander. Uh, what's the pose he strikes again? Blue steel. Blue steel. Blue steel, and, and Blue steel El, baby. The tiger. The tiger. <laughs> and then Magnum. Magnum was yes, the one that awesome. everyone waited for. Yes. Which looked strikingly like blue steel. Yes. Did he do that after the Ugulagi? <laughs> okay. Can we get back to the book here, please? Jumping. Frank, what's going on, man? You uh, you book machine you. How many books have you written now? Twelve? Oh, I don't know. I, I lost count. But this one here is the one that I'm most excited about because it's my first stab at fiction. And I tell the story from the perspective of Lazarus, the one whom Jesus raised from the dead. Thirty years have passed since he came back to life, and now he's ready to die. His two sisters, Mary and Martha, are long gone, and he tells the story for the first time of when Jesus of Nazareth came to his hometown, Bethany, and the remarkable things that happened there. I'm really happy about this one. It has much of my heart in it, and so far the responses have been really, really humbling and encouraging. Okay, but so far some of the responses have not been um, nice. Have wait, you had wait, but we're not counting you. We're not Stop counting it. you. You don't count. Okay. Stop it. <laughs> um, have you had anybody, like has Mark Driscoll written you? And been angry at you. Excuse me, uh, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but <clears throat> who's Mark Driscoll? <laughs> 
You're a wise guy. You are a wise guy. Okay, listen, I, uh, there's been lots of written about Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha. Is, is there, do you have a new angle on Mary and Martha? Is something we haven't thunk through the way that you're going to make us think through? Oh, I don't know. Let me say this. Maybe your readers and listeners have heard it or not. But, you know, when they had their kitchen fight, <laughs> when Martha berated her sister because, you know, she left her in the kitchen, a couple things that are not brought out. First of all, in that day, the courtyard was the kitchen, and the women were always uh, relegated to that place. They could not go into the public room. That would be akin to our living room. Only the men can go into the public room. Jesus is going into that home. He sits in the public room. His disciples are there. Lazarus, no doubt, is sitting there. And now Mary is kind of peeking over, and she is there helping Martha prepare the meal, and an instinct in her tells her, I need to go listen to the teacher. So she goes into the public room. Well, right there, that's a scandal. You don't do that. Only men can be there. The second thing is, she is sitting with the other disciples, and she is a woman. And in the first century, Jewish rabbis, Jewish teachers only and exclusively had male disciples. And so for her to be in the public room and to be sitting at Jesus' feet along with the men... Scandalous! Double whammy. Scandalous! Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why Martha, perhaps the main reason why Martha was so ticked off, it was that here you are, my sister, you're a woman, and you're acting like a man. That's kind of like Joyce is, Myers. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Joyce Myers? Anyway, uh, and the interesting... All these names, I don't know who you're talking about over here. Anyway, uh, and so the interesting thing about this is she doesn't say a word, and Jesus defends her. And at the end of the story, when we have another snapshot of Bethany, and Jesus is there, once again, Mary gets abraded now by the disciples, chided by Judas and company, and Jesus defends her a second time. Anyway, Mary of Bethany is my hero, and I did a blog post recently on frankviola.org. People can read it, but I explain why she's my hero. I think the woman was incredible. Are you going to turn into a Catholic now? Actually, I'm toying with the idea of being a Catholic atheist. When you talked about your website, uh, I would like to be part of it, if you would let me. <laughs> Hilarious. All right, if, if uh, Frank Viola was in Bethany, if Frank Viola had a, had a month to to uh, jump into the uh, into the uh, Doctor Who machine and what was that called the Dar the Darling no the Dar Tardis Tardis that's right the Daleks were the bad guys. Daleks were the bad guys so jumped into the Tardis and go back in time and spend a month in Bethany what do you think um, you would you would be able to sniff out that would make Bethany come alive to the rest of us today all right well just two miles away you had Jerusalem and we all know you know that's the city of God that's where God put His name. All the religious establishment and the vestments and the temple sacrifices and on and on are in Jerusalem. Right. It's very large. It's very crowded. Bethany, obscure, unknown, humble, a lot of lepers there. Probably two to 400 people live there. It's a blip on the screen. And here, Jesus of Nazareth is rejected everywhere he goes from womb to tomb. He comes into the earth. He's the one that created everything in the first place. He shows up on the planet that he created. He's rejected in Bethlehem. There's no room for him there. He's rejected in Nazareth. A prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown, Nazareth. Right, right. He's rejected in Samaria. He's rejected in Jerusalem. Not only rejected there, but they crucify him. And there's only one place on the planet 
that receives Jesus Christ, that makes a home for him. And it's this place, Bethany. To the naked eye, Drew, it just looks like <laughs> a little village, not much going on, a little southern town, not impressive at all, but it was God's favorite place on earth because they received Jesus Christ. And the last week of his life, he spent in Bethany. Uh, what part of your guts are in this book? Because when guys sit, uh, guys, sorry, when people, so sexist, when people sit down and write uh, uh, fiction books with a point behind it, you know, whether it's shack kind of stuff or whatever, right? They, they pour a lot of their own guts into this, a lot of their own journey, their own story. Uh, what, where, uh, the pages of this book, where are your guts? Well, they're splattered all over. <laughs> they're splattered in every chapter, but I guess the one that it seeds through is the one where I talk about handling rejection. You know, I'm somebody who, when I put my hand to the plow, I was just dumb and naive, and I thought all Christians were nice people, and you go ahead and you serve the Lord, and, you know, your brothers and sisters will join arms with you, and you fall down, they'll pick you up, and vice versa. And then you woke up. <laughs> right, then I woke up. <laughs> Um, I didn't take the blue pill. But anyway, some of the... <laughs> well, now I most, am. <laughs> <laughs> the painful experiences we will have and that I have had in my life did not come to me at the hands of non-Christians. They've come to me through my brothers and sisters. I point out a lot of things in the book that have helped me with this, but one of them is that Jesus, my Lord, understands it. It wasn't the Gentiles who put him to death. Yeah, the Romans put those nails through his hands, but it was God's people who ordered it and clapped and applauded when it happened. And uh, we have the prophecy in the Old Testament, I was wounded in the house of my friends. And, you know, one of the things I've learned is when that happens to you, when you are crucified by Christians, if I can put it that way, and Rick Warren's going through it right now, and I have publicly defended him and am sickened by the responses of God's people, or professing God's people, who have uh, put nails in his hands recently. But you have a choice. You're either going to become bitter or you're going to be broken. So I talk a lot about brokenness and I talk a lot about bitterness. But uh, all from my wounds, brother. And, uh, you know, A.W. Tozer said something about the wounded Christian, that those whom God uses are just wounded soldiers, you know, and I think that's true for every true child of God who sought the Lord. All great Christians have been wounded souls, is how Tozer put it, and I think he had a lot of that in his life. But there is hope and there's encouragement. You're going to get a few tools in your hand on how to process that and how to handle it. And the other thing, too, is what I really talk about is how to be a Bethany on earth today. You know, uh, Jesus Christ is still rejected, <laughs> not just by the world at large, Drew, but you know this. He's rejected by his own people. Every time someone rejects a fellow Christian, they are rejecting Jesus Christ. The point of the whole book is that Jesus Christ has been rejected in every quarter when he came onto this planet. He knows what it feels like. He's looking for a home. We all are called to be Bethany's for him, and in so doing, we get to taste what he tasted. But the thing is, he tasted it first for us. Frank Viola on the Drew Marshall Show. Website is frankviola.org or godsfavorplace.com. Listen, dude, great to chat with you, man. Thank you very much for joining us again, Frank.